Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. It's Let's ride. for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What's going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to another episode of The Incline. This is Kevin Klein here. Your Los Angeles Dodgers are 65-44. and 44. There's still three and a half games of the San Francisco Giants. We just can't seem to be gaining, gaining any ground on them, but it's all good. Coming off an awesome win against the Houston Astros last night, splitting that series, but a 7-5 to five win last night. Max Scherzer making his Dodgers debut it's Jake Reiner in the house. David Rosenthal is off this week, but we're also joined by a special guest, and we're very excited to have him. It's Fabian Ardaya, who covers the Los Angeles Dodgers for The Athletic. What's going on? Thank you so much for joining the Incline this week. Yeah, I'm just enjoying my day off. Uh, it, it's been kind of crazy month or so for the Dodgers, so uh, taking advantage of any time off yet. Awesome stuff. Jake Reiner, I know you were in attendance for the first game against the Astros. I was in attendance for the second game, but I wanted to get your guys' initial takeaways of just like the fan reaction, all the booing, the trash cans, the trash can lids getting thrown on the field. I think a water bottle was thrown at Kyle Tucker last night. Didn't really like that move, but the fans represented. It was a packed house, the most attendance in Major League Baseball over those two games. So I just wanted your guys' initial takeaways on Dodger fans representing. What was it like from the booth there, Fabian? Uh, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think we were all kind of expecting a kind of wild, crazy, fun environment. And it really delivered. I, I think the thing that impressed me the most, I guess it probably didn't surprise me, but it still impressed me, is the fact that it be it like continued all the way through the ninth inning, both games. Uh, the wind got taken out a little bit maybe in the ninth inning last night as they started to come back in the game. But you could sort of just feel it build over the course of the game, even up a couple hours before the game. Uh, they were persistent, and understandably so. It's been uh, it's been a few years in the making. It's been really since last January when that report went down that really like the MLB uh, confirmed that obviously the reporting the athletic that they had undergone this science stealing operation had that it had continued into the 2017 postseason. And obviously, like those are emotions that are still really raw to a lot of people and the punishment uh, part of the punishment as they sort of laid it out was going to be this sort of public shame. And this was just the latest, maybe the last like, major tour for the Astros in sort of this public shame tour. Uh, but uh, this, this definitely was one of the more major stops for them. 
Yeah. Being there uh, for game one uh, of the, of the two game series, it almost felt like as intense as it was for game one of the 2017 world series, because that was the first game, the first World Series game that the Dodgers had been in since 1988. And so you kind of felt the intensity from the crowd and you expected that a, a number of the Astros players would get booed like Altuve and Correa. Those were the, uh, the loudest boos that I heard. Um, and we saw a number of inflatable trash cans getting thrown on the field. I think I counted about five in game one that kind of stopped the action. The thing that I didn't really like so much was that Every foul ball that an Astros player hit into the stands was thrown back onto the field or at least attempted to be thrown back on the field. And what that did, honestly, was it, I think it threw Walker Bueller maybe out of rhythm a little bit. And um, on the other side of things, when a Dodgers player would hit a foul ball into the stands, it wasn't like they were throwing those balls back and messing up Lance McCullers timing. So I think it had the opposite effect of what the fans wanted. Um, but it did get a little crazy. Like where I was sitting, I was like in the first row on the low section down the right field line. And I was kind of in the fray of all of the fights that broke out and not necessarily fights between Dodgers and Astros fans, but fights between Dodgers fans. And I think it kicked off right when Jordan Alvarez hit that two run Homer uh, in the late innings to kind of, you know, ice the game, so to speak for the Astros. I think the Astros fans felt emboldened the ones that were there and kind of were raising hell. And so the Dodgers fans responded to that. It got really ugly. Um, and I didn't really like seeing that it made Dodgers fans look bad. Um, and, and it's, it's not what anybody wanted, but in terms of the intensity, it was there for both games for sure. Yeah. The intensity was there. It was actually funny though. Uh, there was that one ball, there was one ball that, uh, Cody Bellinger like fouled up to like the upper deck that they actually threw back onto the field that basically rolled back to the pitcher's mound where Kendall Grapen was so, like, there was, there's a few, there's there a lot of stoppages. There were a couple stoppages in the second game as well. Uh, they sort of like swapped out the inflatable trash cans for the inflatable trash can lids, which I guess are probably easier to hide past security. Uh, but so a few of those managed on, to get on the field. Uh, but for the most part, the second game had a lot fewer stoppages. It just felt more intense. It felt like it was a lot more of just like a buzz in the crowd. A part of it was probably because it was also Max Scherzer's Dodgers debut. Uh, it was really interesting how it would just sort of like flip on a dime. It would go from booze to cheers to booze. And they would be the same intensity. It just was like immediate, especially like, especially in those at bats against Altuve and Correa, where they, you sort of felt a building. They wanted those moments and they got a few of those. Obviously Altuve went over three with three K's against Scherzer over four with four K's all night. Uh, he got Correa on a strikeout once. Um, it was sort of building up in that game, in that uh, Correa Joe Kelly matchup. Obviously, that ended uh, with Correa homering and sort of egging on the crowd. But it it was definitely intense, and I think that you couldn't you can't ask for anything more if you're just trying to enjoy a baseball game. Is that everyone in that building was into it? Yeah. Speaking of Max Scherzer, you mentioned it. Dodgers debut Wednesday night. He was exceptional. One of the most phenomenal Dodgers debuts in my most recent memory. He went seven innings, struck out 10 Astros, pitched 109 pitches, 73 of them for strikes, only allowed two runs. Command was there, one walk. And the fastball velocity was what really stood out to me. Apparently it topped off at the the best average in 2021, 95.2 miles per hour, which just shows his arm is still as fresh as it can be. And of course, you know, after he exited the game, the crowd was just roaring. They got a curtain call out of him. 
post game Scherzer mentioned he couldn't recall any time in the past where he had a curtain call. That was actually surprising for me because I know he threw a number of no hitters. You would have thought maybe he got one then, but point being, he really felt the adrenaline. He mentioned that as well. So just what were your guys' takeaways from Scherzer and his Dodgers debut? I think you got like the full Scherzer everything. <laughs> uh, you got you even got him like yelling at himself after striking out with a six-round lead, which I guess is not surprising. But uh, yeah, I mean, the fastball velocity ticked up. He said part of that was because he, like, he was finally able to get on a normal routine, something he hasn't had for a while, uh, that triceps injury. Uh, that he was dealing with right before the trade that that's completely gone. He said, and uh, the velocity ticked up. He really felt like he had a good rapport early on with Will Smith behind the plate. Uh, he felt like he had his best curveball in a long, long time. And that sort of opened everything else up for him. And he just attacked. I think you could sort of see the competitor, the intensity that he brings. And I mean, that's sort of what he's always been. And it helps to have another guy like that. Cause I mean, the Dodgers have guys like that, in the rotation and they sort of, they've gotten this far because of their rotation and they need options at this point. And Max Scherzer was the best one available. It still is shocking. If you would have said a few months ago that Max Scherzer would have been a Dodger, it yeah. would have felt unnecessary just considering where they were with the rotation. But obviously a lot of things have changed and, and he has delivered so far. Obviously that was a really good debut and a really good start and, uh, he's a guy who you like having on the mound every five days. Absolutely. Yeah, it really, it really showed everybody what type of a big game pitcher he is. And given the fact that the Dodgers are going to face competition just as tough, if not tougher, when they get to the postseason, that Max Scherzer was able to kind of rise to the occasion. And their other big game pitcher, Walker Bueller, who didn't have his best stuff in, in that first game, but still was able to grind through it. He only gave up one run. And I, I felt, I felt bad on a number of occasions for, for Bueller who has, you know, thrown everything out there and the, either the Dodgers offense doesn't come through for him or the bullpen blows it in the end. And he should have a much better record than he does right now. But those are your two best big game pitchers. And you saw a preview of what it's, what it could be like in the postseason. And uh, I watched uh, Scherzer's postgame comments um, and it, it seemed like he was almost like blown away by the reaction from the crowd, just the, you know, feeding off that, energy um he was shocked as anybody to get a curtain call and for him to do that as a pitcher was 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 really cool um and it just shows you that um the 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 true dodgers fans respect that kind of talent respect that kind of resume just kind of the the showering that they give albert pujols every time he comes up to the plate or mookie Betts. i mean this crowd respects talent and so um to have him on the mound in that game, uh, to win that game, I felt like it was a must-win game, obviously, because the Dodgers don't want to fall any further back in the NOS than they already have. Um, so that, that, was a, that was a great performance by him overall. Yeah, I mean, just going back to Walker Buehler real quick, his only two losses he suffered this season, he had zero run support combined. The first loss, the Dodgers got no hit by the Cubs, and then last night, or two nights ago, I mean, Lance McCullers, you just have to tip your cap to him. He pitched a phenomenal game, and he he outdueled Bueller. So it is what it is. Obviously, the Dodgers' bats didn't show up, but back to McCullers, he just did a great job. But here we are, two months left into the season, and it's looking like Walker Bueller is your leading candidate to win the National League Cy Young. And I was kind of comparing the numbers to Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw's 2011 Cy Young campaign. The numbers are strikingly similar. 
Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, he's in the conversation, to say the least. I mean, there's a lot of candidates. Uh, I mean, Jacob DeGrom, it depends on what he looks like when he comes back. If he even can accumulate enough innings, he'll probably yeah. still be a top five guy. Zach Wheeler, Zach Wheeler might be the front runner, honestly, at this point, uh, just considering workload and everything like and how effective he's been. Bueller has been just as effective, but obviously some of the strikeouts might hurt some of the, the lack of strikeouts might hurt some of the underlying numbers, but he's been just as dominant. Obviously, you talk about Burns and Woodruff from Milwaukee, but like Bueller has very much put himself in that conversation. He's taken another step forward this season, and we've always sort of seen this ability, seen the stuff, but we've seen this year he sort of shifted in a sense where he is maybe dialed it back a sense in terms of trying to blow everyone away. And he's gifted enough to have as stuff as good as anyone in sport while also being able to locate his command has been better on all of his pitches than it has been in just about any year of his career so far. So being able to mix the two, being able to go deep into games as regularly as he has, like he he's as good of a reason as any is why the Dodgers are in the position they're in right now. Exactly. Let's talk about Dodgers second baseman. Maybe it's temporary. <laughs> Mookie Betts. Had a good, an awesome game last night. Two home runs in his first two at-bats. He's now up to 17 home runs on the season. He's batting 274, an OPS of 900. Over his last seven games, he's batting 536 over 28 bats with five home runs. I was never worried about Mookie Betts, but I have to say, Mookie Betts looks like Mookie Betts. Yeah, the concern with him has always been sort of him staying healthy over the course of the season. He's dealt with a bunch of nagging issues. Uh, but the fact that like he wasn't able to get going, I mean, it's hard to really separate that with some of the nag- nagging, ish- like, nagging issues. But uh, he sort of has always said, I think he said back in May when we were in Houston, actually, he like, basically said like a hot two-week stretch and then we're not talking about this. Yeah. And that's basically what he's had. And his numbers are back to where they usually have been. Like he... He is a game-changing player. This is the type of player that the Dodgers obviously have invested the next decade in, and he's shown why. And, and obviously, uh, some of the second-base stuff is not what they signed him for, but it's still he is very fluid there. And I guess in a pinch, having him as your third or fourth option at second base doesn't hurt. Uh, but uh, the fact that they have him swinging the bat the way he does, he just changes that lineup, lengthens that lineup, and really, at least like, the top seven position players in this order right now, they're all hitting relatively well. None of them are in a deep funk uh, besides Bellinger at this point. Uh, so I think, I mean, obviously that's a good sign for where the Dodgers want to be the next two months. The Dodgers have a lot of unconventional second basemen. Like when you look at Mookie Betts, Austin Barnes can also play over there. Max Muncy's actually a pretty good second baseman. So um, Dodgers always have a, a versatile roster, but I think, and we've been saying this a lot uh, on the podcast is that, we've just been waiting for Mookie Betts to, to, to have that hot streak. And it was kind of unfortunate before he went on the IL, he actually started to really heat up before he got injured. Uh, and he's, you know, had a couple of games since he's been, since he's been back and it, and it seems like he's still got it. And he definitely found it last night. Um, just the, uh, the, 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 the kind of silent swag is what I called it in the, in the second home run where he kind of just hit it, knew it, put his head down, kind of just, flip the bat over it was just it was just such a cool moment for him uh to sort of say like I'm back 
Um, I never was, I never went anywhere, but I'm here. And, uh, you know, Mookie is, is probably his toughest critic. We've, we've seen him even, even last year, which was uh, an MVP caliber year, he called himself serviceable. So I would hate to, to find out what, how he categorizes his performance so far this year, probably less than serviceable in his eyes, but still when you um, compare him to the standards, we know Mookie Betts can play at um, obviously this would be a career year for a lot of players. So you got to put that all into perspective and into context. And I've always thought that this offense goes the way that Mookie Betts goes. And so if he's able to be that spark at the top of the order, then the rest will fall into place. And last, the last two games, we've really, we've really seen, you know, with the exception of, of Trey Turner, who, who's coming back uh, hopefully this weekend, um, we really got to see, you know, the full lineup, the full healthy lineup in there for the last two games. And this, this lineup has not been together for that many games. And so I think fans have got to kind of, you know, let that lineup gel, let them come back. They don't have a lot of time to do it, but if there's any lineup out there in the major leagues that can come together on a, at the drop of a hat, it's this one. Yeah, actually, it's like to that point at Mookie, when we talked to him right, right before the all-star break, when he sort of talked about, uh, just accept it, like being surprised to be an all-star. He called his first half bad, like straight up said it was bad, yeah. but it was an 800 OPS. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it was up until this week. They only had three games a season where they had uh, Muncie, Turner, Seager, Betts, Bellinger, all in the lineup at once. Like, and then now obviously they've had the last few nights uh, and getting a chance to add Trey Turner into that mix. The fact that you have to worry about how you're going to fit Trey Turner in is sure demonstrates the position that the Dodgers are in right now. They have to hope that they stay this healthy. They have to hope that with the rotation, that some of those options start to like figure themselves out in a sense. Like you have to, I mean, Clinton Kershaw and Tony Gonsolin aren't playing catch right now. You have to figure out where their health is at, figure out how that plays into the next month. Obviously, you're looking in September, you're hoping to have those two guys back and then potentially having Hamels in the mix, having Danny Duffy in the mix and seeing what that looks like. But obviously you can't bet on everyone staying healthy, but you have to hope and look forward and see that there's still time on the clock for those guys to get ready for September. In the meantime, having your full caliber lineup going when they are, you have to take advantage of those wins while you can. Bobby, and if I could just jump in here real quick, I just have a question because um, you mentioned where Trey Turner is going to fit into this lineup. Have you, have, has Dave Roberts given kind of any indication as to, where he'll fit in the lineup wise in terms of the order and in terms of position. And then what does that mean for like, you know, Pollock and Taylor and then Bellinger who's struggling? Uh, he hasn't said anything necessarily clear. I think the thing he's been adamant about is he wants to make sure he talks to Trey first and make sure he's okay with it. But uh, I mean, in talking to Corey Seager, when he first came off the IL, he basically said like that's out of his control, but he's played a lot of shortstop. He wants to play shortstop. Uh, Turner is probably the better defensive shortstop at this point, but he also has the benefit of having played other positions at the big league level. He's played second, he's played center. Uh, I would imagine that at second base, uh, I don't think that they're going to like try to like alternate between Seeger and Turner at shortstop. I they're going to pick one guy and stick to it there, uh, and then probably have Turner at second base, and then basically have Chris Taylor be what he was basically up until the injury started happening, which is he bounces around, gives you guys a day whenever they, whenever possible. And maybe Dave Roberts being a little bit more liberal about like when he gives a guy a day to be able to like fit guys in there. Cause there's more reasons to fight for at bats and Bellinger will probably still be in there somewhat regularly just because they like his glove. They feel like getting more at bats, more reps will help him 
sort of get into that rhythm that they want. They don't necessarily need him to be a middle-of-the-order MVP-type bat, but they can get him even close to what he was last year in that abbreviated season when he was still like an above-league average hitter with a really plus defense. If they get him there, obviously that changes things. And then Pollock, like you mentioned, he's been he's coming off the best full month of his career by OPS. So it's not necessarily going to be the cleanest fit, but obviously if you're talking about juggling where you're going to fit one or two all-stars in the lineup, that's not necessarily a bad problem to have. Right. And Fabian, you also mentioned Clayton Kershaw. That was also something else we wanted to cover on the show. It sounds like the latest is he's not throwing. We just want to know kind of like what Dave Roberts has really spoken about the timetable, if there is any, on when Clayton Kershaw might return. Uh, I don't think there is one right now. Uh, I think uh, obviously there had been one going into the last few weeks. They sort of talked about, especially after the sim game he threw at Oracle Park in San Francisco last week. They sort of talked about maybe needing one more this past weekend and then seeing possibly starting as soon as this Saturday against the Angels. Obviously, that's not going to happen. He didn't throw that sim game. He's not playing catch right now. Uh, so the way that Roberts uh, sort of described it for both uh, Kershaw and Tony Gonsolin is they have to wait for the pain to dissipate. And they, they've, they've described it as sort of lingering soreness uh, for Kershaw. Obviously, he had the MRI right before the All-Star break. That didn't show any structural damage. Uh, so they're sort of waiting for that soreness to go away. Obviously, we're hoping to get more clarity as more time goes, but that's as, as far as we know so far. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. So coming up this weekend, three game series against the Los Angeles angels. Funny enough, this is the team Fabian used to cover when the Dodger or when the angels designated for assignment, Albert Pujols and let him go. What fans did know was it was actually a package deal. And Fabian came <laughs> along with Pujols. I was, I was here first. I was, I was covering the Dodgers first before, before he officially signed then let me change that. Pujols had to follow Fabian. That's it was, that's it was a it was a delayed it was a player to be named later kind of situation. Uh, okay, <laughs> there we go. But guys, if you aren't subscribed to the Athletic and you're not reading Fabian's work, I don't know what you're doing because he's the best in the business. I read every article he puts out, and it's just phenomenal stuff when it comes to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Thank you. Appreciate that. So according to MLB.com, it looks like the pitching matchups right now are David Price against Patrick Sandoval. Jaime Berea against Julio Urias and Sunday's game, Reed Detmers against Walker Bueller. Now this isn't going to be the Angels team that we're accustomed to seeing or what they rolled out to begin the season. Mike Trout's still on the IL. Looks like he's suffered a setback. Anthony Rendon's out for the season. Season ending hip surgery. Shohei Otani, this was actually something I wanted to ask you about. Do you think he'll play the outfield or first base? I know traditionally I think he's their designated hitter. Uh, so yeah, this Angels team, they're they're not what we thought they would be. It's going to be a very watered down lineup, two lefties starting for the Angels. So that hopefully means we get to see a lot of Albert Pujols at first base during this series. So no one knows this team better than Fabian. So just kind of give us a brief summary of what to expect when we face this Angels team. Yeah, I mean, Shoya Otani has, did play, has played a little bit of outfield this year, but he hasn't started a game out there. I don't anticipate him getting a start out there he'll probably be mostly a pinch hitter if anything maybe gets double switched in late in later innings if they want if they see an opportunity to get multiple bats but i wouldn't say that's necessarily likely um but yeah they, they are gonna face i mean they're facing an angels team that doesn't have mike trout doesn't have anthony Redone, but they they have uh sort of a little bit of a youth movement going on right now they called up 
their two top prospects in Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele. And then their top pitching prospect, the first-round pick last year, Reed Detmers, is starting Sunday against Walker Buehler. I think that's probably the pitching matchup of the weekend, honestly, because that's that's a really exciting young pitching prospect against, obviously, a guy who we mentioned earlier is the candidate for the Cy Young. That'll be a really interesting game. Uh, Pujols probably will get at least one or two starts uh, this weekend, I would imagine, just with how they've used him against lefties. And Sandoval might have a little bit more reverse splits just because he relies very heavily on his changeup. So maybe not that game, maybe not tomorrow night, Friday night. But uh, I would say definitely Saturday, I mean, Sunday against Reed Detmers, he probably would get a start there. Um, but yeah, it'll be an interesting pitching match. It'll be an interesting weekend matchup, to say the least. Obviously, it's not the Angels team that they started the season with, but there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, that they're doing and they're hanging around 500. So, I mean, they're not, they haven't been completely out of it. Like they have been the last couple of years by this point of the year. Uh, so at least it'll be, it should be a pretty interesting weekend. That's kind of an interesting thing that you mentioned about Shohei Otani being used more of a, as a pinch hitter than, than a guy that's starting in, in the lineup and, and why he kind of had to go to an American league team. I, I just don't, see how it would ever work out on a national league team. I mean, obviously if he did go to one, he would have to develop, you know, more of his defensive skills either in the outfield or at first base. But when you're talking about the guy who's leading in baseball and home runs, not being in your lineup um, it's, it's a weird thing. And he pitched yesterday. So the only way he really would have gotten some quality at bats is if he was on the mound. Um, could you kind of just touch on like, you know, I don't know, like, how, how, I mean, you know, the angels are not like mathematically out of the, the playoff race. Um, how do you justify not at least having him in there? I mean, yeah, you sacrifice defensively with him out there, but I mean, he's, he's your best hitter. I think a lot of it has to do with keeping him healthy, keeping him upright. Like he hasn't really, especially this year, like this year he's taken, I think two or three days off total. Uh, so I think having a chance to sort of get him off his feet, in a sense, uh, I mean, he might need it. I mean, he obviously has had a long season doing both. Obviously, the workload is twice as much. I think someone like looked up and like his by the All Star break, his total number of like matchups he's had, whether it be batters faced on the mound or plate appearances, that's about a full season's workload he already did wow. at the All Star break. So, like having a chance to sort of get him off his feet in a sense, like I think it makes some sense. Obviously, it sucks not having him in the lineup that gets a little bit easier when you have Mike Trout and Anthony Redone in there, which they don't. Uh, but I mean, that's just sort of the position that they're in. And also like the guys he'd be starting over are guys who they either want to see whether, what they can do in Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele, or like those are guys who are producing for them, which is uh, basically what, uh, what Justin Upton have been doing when healthy, uh, what Juan Lagares has done in spurts for them. Uh, and obviously and the Angels are just in a position where they don't have a lot of their top guys healthy. It makes it, makes it difficult because Jared Walsh is hurt too. Uh, but, I mean, that's sort of the position that they're in. Obviously, it's difficult playing in a National League park. Uh, I'd imagine this might be the last year they have to deal with that, potentially. So I, I it's just uh, maybe something, a nuisance that they have to deal with this weekend. Awesome. All right, we just got a couple quick more segments and then – We'll all roll out of here. Uh, yesterday, early morning, it was bro- the news was broke that Cole Hamels is coming to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And this was like a dream come true acquisition for me. 
Unfortunately, it's a little late in his career now. He's a 37-year-old lefty. He didn't really pitch last season, hasn't pitched this season. The Dodgers are signing him to a one-year deal. And unfortunately, it looks like he's still four weeks away from making his Dodgers debut. They're going to send him out to Arizona so that he can build himself up. And while I was doing my research, it looks like he was married to a contestant on Survivor. So that's another (laughs) fun fact about Cole Hamels. But yeah, I mean, long story short, I've been like pushing for this guy since 2015. Here we are, 2021. We'll see what he has left in the tank. I'm definitely excited, but just want your guys' quick initial takeaways on what Cole Hamels might bring to this Dodgers roster. Yeah, so Hamels is going to do a two-inning sim game on Saturday at Dodger Stadium, so they'll have a better look maybe then of how he looks against hitters, but like, that's at least like where he's at in terms of getting stretched out. They probably want to get stretched out to about five innings, so that probably like three or four more outings, which sort of fits that sort of timeline. Uh, obviously, the Dodgers had interest in him when he was doing his workouts. Like, they were there. Uh, they sort of saw him. Um, but, I mean, we'll see what he has. Like, obviously, he's not a guy who's relied heavily on velocity or anything like that. He's a guy who's relied more on command, which maybe helps prolong his career. But we'll see how much missing pretty much an entire year hurts that. Uh, the Dodgers just need arms, though. Like, they, they're at this position. Like, we mentioned no Kershaw, no Gonsolin at this point. Uh they're sort of in a position where right now their three, their four main healthy guys are going to be Scherzer, Bueller, Urias, and Price. And I'd imagine that ideally you probably would want to kick one of those guys or one of their starting option arms to the bullpen at some point to sort of beef up that bullpen uh, and throw Danny Duffy in that mix too, because he's sort of in that same timeline as Hamels. So this is sort of a, just a situation where the, they're tr- trying to add arms however they can and, hope that enough of them stay healthy through September. And at that point, then maybe they can make those decisions and whoever's left can help the bullpen. Yeah, I I'm with Kevin. I, I, I love this move. I, I wanted this to happen a lot sooner than it did. Um, just because I was just sick and tired of, of watching these bullpen games and uh, definitely the Dodgers are in, are in desperate need of guys that can eat innings and uh, can can give that bullpen uh, a rest because, uh, in my opinion, the the bullpen should should really only be used in a uh, when you need when your starter is getting shelled in the third inning. That's when you need your bullpen to come in and you know basically mop up the rest of the way, not necessarily dedicate an entire game to the bullpen. Um, the Dodgers have kind of you know had had to have been forced to doing that. Um, a bunch of times this season, way more than I would have liked. And so I was campaigning to get someone like Cole Hamels on the roster, anybody, any, any person from, from AAA that, that could be a starter to come up and eat some innings. And so um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Cole Hamels can bring, what he's got left in the tank. Same with Danny Duffy. Um, I'm just looking for anybody out there that can help save this bullpen because, because right now with the way it is, you know, Jimmy Nelson just went on the IL uh, Kenley Jansen's not looking sharp. Uh, his last few outings have been uh, disasters. Um, Joe Kelly's looking good. Blake Trinan's obviously solid out there. Victor Gonzalez is a shell of himself. And so you've got a lot of issues in that bullpen and any starter that can come in and, and essentially relieve the relievers is, is good for me. Yeah. Well said, Jake. Yeah. The bullpen has definitely fallen apart at the wrong time. You mentioned Jansen's slumping, Victor Gonzalez. I personally think he needs to be demoted to AAA, but obviously that's not my decision. And then Jimmy Scherfe, who made a brief, 
brief appearance with the Dodgers. He got placed on the 60, 60 day IL. So I don't think we're seeing him back this season, but Jake, I know you had a question for Fabian, so I'll let you do that. And then I'll ask one as well. Yeah. I just, uh, we, what we saw this year for the trade deadline was unbelievable. Unlike anything I've ever seen um, just the flurry of moves, the, the quality of players that were moved and, I'm just curious from a behind the scenes standpoint of what that day was like for you covering um, the trade deadline. And then also with, with the caveat of covering a trade deadline with the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, it's different. Uh, last few years, like whenever I covered, covered trade deadlines, like the angels weren't necessarily buyers. Like they were sort of like, even if they were adding, they were like soft ads. So it's a little bit different, obviously being in a position from that to you know that the Dodgers were shopping at the top of the market. They you knew that they were going to be in on Scherzer, that they really needed Scherzer. Uh, but yeah, I mean that was obviously a really hectic day. Uh, I was basically uh, working my way through a lot of the stuff on the day. You definitely trade when the Scherzer Trey Turner stuff started dropping. So I mean that Thursday especially was a really long day. But yeah, I mean the deadline is always hectic. I think everyone sort of is on edge and throw in the fact that. Obviously, all these executives had a lot shorter time to prepare for the deadline this time because they had the draft just a week or so before in the All-Star break. So, like, it was uh, it was a lot jam-packed into a short period of time. What was that moment like when uh, it looked like Ken Rosenthal had tweeted out that the that Scherzer was close to going to the Padres? I mean, was that did that was that contradictory from what you were hearing? I mean, I, I just hadn't heard anything firm that, like, he was going anywhere. Obviously, I mean, Ken said they were close, but he never said that there was a deal done. Uh, so I think, I mean, obviously, like, you're sort of looking at that perspective, like, all right, if this winds up going through, you're sort of shifting more towards, like, all right, if this doesn't go through, what do the Dodgers, or what are the Dodgers looking for? Are they going to add Jose Barrios? What, what was it going to look like for the rest of the deadline? Because you knew they had to add something other than just Danny Duffy, who obviously performed pretty well in a small sample with the Royals this year, obviously has a tr- long track record, obviously being an effective pitcher, uh, but obviously was hurt. They needed more immediate help. My question is a little more simple. Just growing up, what was one baseball player that you idolized? If there's more than one, you can name a few. <laughs> I mean, my favorite guy growing up, actually, because uh, – my brother grew up in St. Louis and he's part of the reason why I really got into sports, really got into baseball. Uh, so every growing up in Phoenix, uh, every year, whenever the Cardinals were in town, I would go watch. And obviously my favorite guy growing up was Albert Pujols, which oh. has been very interesting the last few years, getting a chance to cover him. Obviously it's a little bit different version of him, uh, but yeah, it's been an interesting experience getting a chance to cover a guy you grew up watching. That's really cool. Can I, can I ask a follow-up to that? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, from from a fan's perspective, watching Albert Pujols as a Dodger, it seems like he's kind of rediscovered his love for the game. He seems to really be enjoying himself, and it's become a thing when, like, guys at home runs, they go right to uh, T.O. Albert, as he's been called now, and then he gives him a big bear hug. Um, have you seen that sort of shift in him from when he uh, last was an angel to when he got uh, when he signed with the Dodgers? I mean, I think he, he's definitely enjoying his baseball right now. I think he always has let, sort of had that love for the game. But obviously, I mean, it was a tough situation. You know, I, I think he was in a position where that contract and how he had performed, like it obviously wasn't like he wasn't faultless in it. But like the way he performed, the way that fan base received him, like it was sort of mixed at the very best. Because like, there was obviously it wasn't like he was getting booed regularly. I mean, he was 
especially during spring training, he would get cheered raucously. Like he was, he is a Hall of Famer who accomplished a lot of milestones in that Angels uniform, even though he was never the player he was signed to be. Uh, but I think having a chance to be somewhere else, somewhere that's winning for the first time for him in a long time, uh, I think having a lot of people that like he's gotten to know just living in Southern California, it seemed like it, it makes a lot more sense as a fit than it ever did whenever you sort of thought about it initially. I think it was for the best that the Angels DFA'd him and moved on from him. I think it was for the best for him that, that he wound up in the spot that he did because I think there are very few teams where he could have where that would have had this type of role available where they could have made it all work and that would have put him in the position to succeed like he has because they put him in a very specialized role, uh, one that uh, is very difficult for teams to handle, just a platoon first baseman who can't do anything else. Uh, but he has hit well against lefties. He's been a good pinch hitter off the bench. He's started every once in a while, and he's performed sort of as well as anyone could have expected. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome to see Pujols get rejuvenated with the Dodgers. All right, is there anything else you guys wanted to cover real quick before we sign off? Um, just that I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about Kenley Jansen. I, I feel like, um, the, the last few times he's, he's gone out there. I, I just, I, I disagreed with bringing him in, 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 in those certain situations. Um, it's just, I don't know. I feel, I feel like, I feel like Roberts is, is always trying to give his players like the, their, their moment in the sun and, and kind of give them that opportunity to like, you know, at redemption and, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would mess around with that uh, too much going forward. I think, I think going forward, you, you can't just say, you know, Kenley, the ninth inning's yours. You got to play the matchup game. You got to put the best guy in there to face the quote unquote heart of the order uh, in, in the most crucial situation. So that, that was just my, my thoughts over the last few days. We'll see. Yeah, how I we- think we saw last night after the, after the home run though, I mean, you saw Blake trying to get up and hot. Um, I don't think that they're going to move Blake trying off the, his current role. I think that his most, his most effective role for them is being able to sort of come in the seventh, eighth, ninth, whenever the matchups work. Uh, and I think that their bullpen works best in that fashion, which is why I understand keeping Kenley Jansen in the ninth thing the way they have. Obviously we'll see how things change. If things change when Corey Knable gets healthy and stays healthy, because he's a guy who obviously has that closer experience as well. And who threw the ball pretty well before getting hurt. Fabian, thank you so much for joining the incline today. We really appreciate it. I will drop his Twitter in the description below. So make sure to follow him because he gives you all the update content of your Los Angeles Dodgers. Thanks for having me. Also, make sure to support Dodgers Tailgate. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or their website, DodgersTailgate.com. And make sure to subscribe to the incline. We do these podcasts every week for our Dodger fans and other baseball loyal listeners out there. We have a lot of fun doing it. Thank you. And of course, if you didn't see the news, Josh Reddick was designated for assignment by the Arizona Diamondbacks. So karma is a B word. Toodles.